Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of the K Koji podcast. I am, of course, K, and with my host is Koji. I do want to start off this episode、um, <laughs> with a little bit about how poorly we started episode one.、Um, well, not started, ended. but more like、yeah. how we ended. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was kind of garbage. <laughs> it was pretty abrupt, actually.、Uh, you know, I think I was like, thank you and goodbye. Bam! <laughs> just close <laughs> off. Yeah, it was like a dead end of an episode, and you know. Yeah, we could we could have made a little bit more elegant,、mm-hmm. or we could have done something a little bit better.、Mm-hmm. I, I think I think for now we can end it with、uh, you know follow us on Twitter or you know find us on social media here and there. <laughs> I didn't want to like talk about like you being left handed. Is that right?、Like、oh yeah, you, yeah. That's so abrupt. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, I'm left-handed. Are you left-handed? No, right, Kay. No, I'm.、You're... I'm predominantly right. But、okay. I always thought that you were ambidextrous. Like you can use both of your hands.、Mm. Like, so I was.、Right. Uh, yeah, I was. I was born、uh, left-handed, and I used to do everything with left hand. Uh, but uh, I think as I grew up,、uh, you know, a lot of tools that are available in the society, like scissors,、uh, don't really come、uh, left-handed. So.、Uh, I think I I learned to use the scissors with my right hand, so you know it's it's a, it's a mix of everything. You know I have I have something to say to the world and as a society as a whole、uh, about how people that are left-handed feel and what what kind of difficulties we we endure on a on a on daily basis. You know, being left-handed. First of all, left-handed people. Maybe you know of this, but left-handed people have a shorter. Life expectancy than the right-handed people. Did you know this? No, I did not. Has there been any like? Because I'm I'm really curious、mm-hmm. now that you're bringing this up about life expectancy.、Mm-hmm. Is there any documentation as to like why this is happening? Actually, no. I I haven't looked. I mean, I've looked into it, but I've I'm not sure if there's any causation found between left-handedness and uh, uh, and a、uh, short. You know, any 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 actual cause, like you know, due to increased stress or. I mean, I do know that kind of the physical sports side of things, like boxing、mm-hmm. or MMA.、Mm-hmm. Um, if we you're at about, an advantage, you're at a huge advantage. I mean, we can take like probably one of the most celebrated boxers、um, that we know today, which is Manny Pacquiao, right? And he's left-handed, and he does a really mean left-hand punch,、uh, <laughs> and and I wonder if that like. This like study, I think this study kind of falls under epidemiology. I'm just looking at like a an article from the BBC. <laughs> they're not exactly as they're not like a pure great source, but、um, they're talking about a study that was done in Southern California,、um, where they looked at two thousand cases, and. The, And like the average age of death for left-handers was nine years younger than those that were right-handed. Well, that's that's a lot, almost a decade, with a sample size of two thousand people, right? And their their sample size is kind of in their region of Southern California, so it might. I mean, it's it's not a perfect sample size, and you know their 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 coverage might not be broad enough for. Especially if like people's eating habits and stuff like that, it might just be like for for that specific region. But I did find that a little bit interesting that in aggregate, folks that are left-handed 
are actually prone to be having a shorter lifespan. And it says like the natural rate of left-handedness is around 10 to 11%. Um, but I think over like, let's say uh, like a 70 year uh, time frame of the population, um, that was artificially pushed down um, the rate of folks that were passing away that were left-handed. Um, that might be either because the our, our living standards improved or something like that. Um, but yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, but does that, does that freak you out a little bit? Yeah, it, it does. And you know, every, every time I get frustrated, uh, with the right-handed, you know, right-handedness of our society, right? I see a lot of things that are, that are on the right-hand side. And every time I, I, you know, I wish it wasn't there. I, I, I feel the stress frankly speaking. <laughs> I do feel that and, there and is like, one thing that, you know, Asia yeah. does not do very well or doesn't think about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not really just like, I, I don't think it's like a criticism, but it's more of like, they haven't had a chance to think about because they've been too busy thinking about other things, <laughs> to be quite mm-hmm. honest. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Accessibility seems to be one thing that kind of like flies by. It's overlooked. Their, yeah, it's overlooked yeah. a lot. Like wheelchair mm-hmm. accessibility, or having like simple things like like tools that we would use to be interact interchangeable between right and left hand, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can even imagine just like a normal person working with tools like a drill, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, because they're predominantly right-handed, they can use that mm-hmm. to do things more, but they can use their left hand, and it would be nice if the tool could be easily held by a left by a right-hander in their left hand. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are things like that um, that isn't really thought of as deeply when it comes to designing, like the Mm -hmm. things you interact with on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. It'd be pretty funny if, you know, uh, you know, the early deaths of uh, left-handed people are caused by, you know, mishandling of certain tools. You know, like, yeah, you know, they... You know, they, they could be using a chainsaw and, you know, one wrong click of a button because they're using their non-dominant hand. Uh, they chop off their feet or something. <laughs> oh, God, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, that's pretty brutal yeah. <laughs> imagination of that happening. If we look at a, a mouse and a keyboard, I have seen a lot of, like, changes to, like, peripheral stuff uh, where mm. you can interchange the left and right click. And the, yeah. the mice is like not specific to your right hand, but they it can be like moved over to your left hand, so it's easy to position. I've seen like mm-hmm. stuff like that, um, but I see most of that change happening on the tech side compared to like other things, like your roads, right, or infrastructure, mm-hmm. or <laughs> mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. like uh, like the, probably the hardest one that you might run into is like a vending machine because there's everywhere in oh, Japan yeah. and they're all on the right. It's everyone side. in Japan and and uh, and the slot for coins is always on the right side. Yeah, so, almost always. What are like the other things in Japan you feel could be a little bit better for accessibility for for folks that are left-handed that you run into? Okay, so day? if you live in uh, large cities uh, like Tokyo, you you have the gate to to go through going you know going on the subway or going on the going on the train and it's uh i've never seen one that's on the left hand side right where you touch the the you, you know you touch the cart that your ic card to get into the station uh it's it's always on the right hand side so you know i'm 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 always panicking in the morning when i take the train to work 
And actually, uh, you know, speaking about the the Japanese society, left-handed people used to be oppressed and they were for- forcibly converted in Japan. Yeah, they were forcibly converted. So people, people, you know, that are like 40, 50 years old, at, when they were growing up and their parents found out that they were left-handed, they would be converted to right-handed. What the hell? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's hella weird. Because it's wrong. Because it's wrong. So you would almost always, uh, you, you, you know, you would almost never find a person that is currently left-handed uh, that are, let's say, above 40, 50 years old. It's very hard to find because they get converted. So there's not even a word. But there are some, you know, uh, terms describe left-handedness. You know, like gicho. You know, almost almost derogatory. You know, that's the first time I've heard that, and mm-hmm. so it's like I don't think we we have that. In that not in other nations, not yeah. in other Asian cultures. I see. Yeah, Jap- Jap- You know, Japanese culture when it comes to you know conforming to the societal norm, it's uh, it's it's pretty intense. I think. Yeah, that feels rather like unique to japan mm-hmm. like that's it's a little extreme <laughs> in my opinion um but yeah. you know my opinions doesn't really matter because that's like the country of japan they think about things mm-hmm. differently mm-hmm. <laughs> very differently <laughs> um but i do know that accessibility just as a whole is is not well thought out of um mm-hmm. in korea and china um i don't know about vietnam or um Singapore but I do know anything that has a little bit of western influence take the necessary steps so that certain things become a little bit more accessible or they're thinking about it um because it just I mean why not just build good design into your <laughs> your products and your services right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that should be pretty obvious yeah, that, that's that's how you approach a wider audience anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, like, I, I know in Korea, it's, like, really, really difficult for any kind of wheelchair accessibility. Really? And, yeah, and you are treated fairly strange if you do have a wheelchair or if you have, like, some sort of a disability. It's not overtly, like, visible, but, like, I've seen examples where, you know, people don't really stop to help. Um, which is more mm. common, I think, in West in the West, where and I see that actually a lot, um, where people that are in a wheelchair will actually intentionally slow things down or keep things open to let someone with a disability in. I know that that mm. might sound like, especially when it comes to the efficiency mindset of Asia, <laughs> with mm-hmm. with their mm-hmm. transportation system, you'll rarely see people like hold the door open to make that. They'll just say like, "Hey, just wait for the next one." Right? Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, but it feels like, yeah, the West kind of like make, takes that extra step to make way for um, folks that are in a disadvantaged position to, so that they can feel like they're included. I don't know how much of that, like, and it'll be interesting to maybe get someone on um, this pod uh, that is experiencing some level of like disability to, to like talk about like yeah. how, what their interaction is like in Asia like their first-hand experience yeah that versus, would be actually pretty interesting yeah yeah versus like if they're in the west like what is their interaction because i kind of feel that sometimes um especially for those that are um that might have started out not with an uh, accessibility issue 
and then they become in a situation where it's like they have to start relying on um mm-hmm. I, I would i would feel like pretty frustrated if i was like in in that situation i would kind of feel like i'm being like treated like a child almost mm-hmm. that's my per mm-hmm. I, yeah because that- you know let's say you're on a wheelchair you probably try to accommodate yourself as much as you can right you you try to take care of yourself as much as you can Mm -hmm. yeah so i don't know how much of like the the oh let me hold the door open for you or let me help Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. like you would actually appreciate what i would appreciate or like if that actually offends them even more Mm -hmm. because like it's like hey i'm a person too i can do my own stuff right um so there's that really fine line that i'm not sure about I'd, i'd love to get some like perspective on on like how they're experiencing things uh, about that but definitely as a whole just like their experience navigating through the way we've constructed our buildings and our society and and Mm -hmm. just like the everyday tools i do think it it needs a deeper look into like better design um yeah yeah Yeah, for sure i mean of course there's like a cost uh issue as well but you know if if we can i'd love to have one left-handed you know a one gate uh at the train station uh, designated to the left-handed person because you know why not right i want to touch with my left hand too (laughs) (laughs) got it sometimes you know i want to use my left hand yeah (laughs) got it but would would like let's like to be like a little bit stupid right (laughs) about Mm -hmm. this discussion love you're in the washroom right oh but in japan it's like all wireless right but but let's say you're like you're uh, like a, yeah yeah but okay so maybe there see if we thoroughly think about it, we do have improvements right so like drying your hands doesn't really require you to touch anything because they're automated mm-hmm. and then like mm-hmm. before there was all like right and left hand right for hot and cold um but if you're in yeah. a more modern area a lot of times mm-hmm. especially in asia you don't have to touch the damn toilet um whereas no, whereas in well, the you, west you gotta press a button though you gotta press a button that is true. To, to you know, open and close the seats and you yeah. know, do all the flushing. But but let's be honest there. The the button I don't think is is a is an issue. I don't, it's not an issue. Yeah. It's it's not an issue. Yeah, the no, button it doesn't matter. Just pressing the button, I don't care which hand I use. Yeah, I yeah. think if we start thinking about where button placement is, um well I mean I guess there is some some things. Maybe they can just make it a touch screen. And then it can be like, are you left or right-handed? And they can touch and the interface <laughs> changes, right? And then that solves your problem. Um, I guess, but, you know, I've never been frustrated in the toilet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I have, you know, I have, I have a hundred other things I need to worry about. <laughs> yeah, there's know, other like problems. Jumping the phone in the toilet or... <laughs> <laughs> there's certainly a lot of different problems you have to deal with with the toilet where the exactly, button exactly. isn't top of mind. Um, but, like, yeah, there are, like, smaller little increments, I think, that we're making to improve yeah. that. Now that I'm, like, thinking a little bit more deeply about, like, some of the interactions we do. Like, when I think about going to restaurants, that the the ordering or, like, the processing of your payments, right, when, when mm-hmm. you get your food, that's all touchscreen yeah. now. But that's all, like, tapping your card. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Because before the uh, the pin pads were predominantly designed for right-handed people, right? Oh yeah, but for now sure. For sure. I use my right hand to do the pin pads because yeah, you know, I don't know why, but uh, I think I've been trained by the society. Yeah, but you know? like I find that no one's using those pin pads anymore. They're using like mm-hmm. the NFC NFC or the tap scanning tool yeah. um, for okay. your credit card, and so mm-hmm. you're just in- interacting with their touch screen or their iPad to like order stuff, and then you just tap, and then you go. Um, unless like you're a really, really old restaurant or a really old establishment. Um, so I've... even, even, even let's say, you know, uh, let's say you go to Denny's in Canada, mm-hmm. is it touchscreen now? Um, it's, 
Well, all of the pen pads themselves have touch-enabled functionality um, mm-hmm. because of this whole uh, COVID thing that happened. There's mm-hmm. been a huge change to just make things like less invasive to how you contact, operate yeah. and contact okay. reduction. And so I think okay. that was, that actually might have, quote-unquote, helped you know, left-handed people in a way because they've started adopting technologies that are more ubiquitous and helpful to everyone. Um, yeah, perhaps, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, because it's very rare now that I touch a pin pad, um, at least in Canada, um, mm-hmm. and definitely I know for sure in some parts of like um, California they've adopted a lot of that, and in Austin um, they've adopted a lot of the pin pad. They've got rid of the pin pad and just brought in just like touch screens and like just like scanners for your for your credit card, um, mm-hmm. and like my phone, right can store credit card information now, right? Yeah. And so your yeah. phone doesn't really care if you're left or right-handed because you can update the uh, the display functionality. Like, like I have a Samsung, right? And it's this isn't mm-hmm. anything to promote Samsung or anything, right? I don't, it doesn't really matter what phone you use, but during the setup process, you can decide whether or not you're left or right-handed. It'll ask you um, during the setup process. Oh, nice. That's so um, nice. But if but, it's- But the, but the power, power button is on the, on the right. That's true. The power button is on the right, but if you touch the mm-hmm. screen, you don't really have to touch the power button because you can do face unlock, oh. or you can just touch the screen. Like there's a fingerprint scanner underneath the the screen, so okay, and it unlocks right. So if you really wow. think about like some of the like the power button is like maybe you, I maybe touch that once every month to reset my phone. That's how many times I, I touch my power button. I think I it's see. maybe the volume rocker, like the volume. Mm-hmm. Thing mm-hmm. that the I feel volume button. Yeah, yeah, that I feel that I use yeah. a lot more. But you can again adjust the the volume by moving your finger up and down the screen itself, right? Um, and everything feels like it's centered more now, because um, like the, I see. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. So there's no like um, audio jack that was like on the left side or the right side anymore, because all of the phones are using wireless. Like they got rid of the <laughs> the audio jack, oh, yeah. which I hate. Yeah. Sure, I yeah. hate that idea of like getting rid of the audio jack because what if my wireless headphones break? But like, mm-hmm. just but like the charging right section is all like in the center. And I remember way way back when I had like a BlackBerry, right? <laughs> God, a BlackBerry. <laughs> it seems so old now. When I think about. <laughs> but like just like older phones in general, like a Nokia and stuff like that. Like they would put like their charger port on like the left hand side. Mm-hmm. Then it would always interfere with your left hand, right? If you hold it, hold your phone with the left hand. I think all the yeah. phones now have been standardizing a lot of that to keep everything centered and aligned in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. And it's those weird edge cases of your volume and your just the power button and like mm-hmm. the SIM card placement, right? Um, They're like yeah. in different areas. That, I mean, I can see like it's really difficult to like rethink about those, but a lot of the controls you can do now on the touchscreen. Going off of that ramble about touchscreens, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. even if you even look at the watch, right? The yeah. watch, uh, depending on what watch you have, they have left mm-hmm. and right hand settings too. Like the expensive ones, like 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 a smartwatch. Yeah, like a smartwatch, right? Yeah, so if, yeah, smartwatch does. Yeah, yeah. So if you think about like things like a like a Rolex or or whatnot, like those are predominantly designed to be sitting on your left hand. Left, yeah, left right? wrist, yeah. And then mm-hmm. for people that like to put on their right hand, they will mm-hmm. typically use more of like an Apple Watch or something. <laughs> because it's all it's all touch interface right and there's no like dials yeah, to screw or anything like but that but then that really limits my choice you know so that's true i mean you could get an android 
smartwatch and have the same experience. You just don't have to pony up for the the Apple <laughs> the Apple price. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking of left, you told me earlier that your colleague left. Oh yeah, something. My uh yeah my my you know I work for a company and my 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 colleague left the company because I I don't know uh in in a in a Japanese culture it's uh you know it, it doesn't happen so often uh someone leaving the co- uh the company especially in a, in a more traditional uh work setting. Uh, and I just wanted to talk to you about this because, uh, so I, I work for a non-Japanese called, uh, company uh, in Japan, and it's uh, it's it's pretty common to see people uh, come and go. Uh, but in a you know, I just wanted to you know discuss how how it is so different working for a Japanese company as a Japanese versus uh, in uh, for a foreign company uh, in Japan. Uh, so you know when you. When you're working for a Japanese company in Japan, uh, you don't you don't really, you know, see people leave. I mean, people leave every now and then, but you know, it's people people actually get relocated every you know two three years, and that's that's when you see people leaving. But other than that, people you know usually at least for now stay in the same company until they retire, and you know actually, I, I used to work for a Japanese company and then I moved to a Western company. And now that I'm working for this company and I saw my colleague quitting, I actually got pretty sad. And, you know, how how often does it happen uh, to UK, uh, you know, your colleagues leaving the company? How normal is it in, in, in Canada to, you know, like the turnover, let's say in your industry? Oh, in my industry, if I'm talking about like the tech industry... Turnover rates are insane compared to the rest of the other industries in in the West. Although I do feel that that's also changed a lot this last two years, like across the entire or just in the entire world, because um, COVID has really changed the way people are looking at where they're spending their time. Um, but if we were okay, so let's take like maybe a thirty foot view from this. Like if we take a few steps back. And we were to look historically, right? Maybe 10 or 15 years or even to our parents' era. I think if we're talking about our parents' era, it is very, very unlikely that you would ever leave the job in your industry. Um, At least in Asia, for sure, that's incredibly rare for our parents. Yeah, for our parents, it's, uh, you know, it's it's actually... uh almost like a betrayal right to leave the company after yeah there's a lot of deep ingrained sense of loyalty to your company Mm -hmm. especially Mm -hmm. in like places like china korea and japan or that was Mm -hmm. like how the way the work society structures was set up which was that if you sign up for a company you are married to that company you are married to that mission and that idea Mm -hmm. that you have to stay there forever you live and die by the company values right Um, yeah for sure yeah and you know, actually, people, you know, really committed to 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 the to the company and the work that they did, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 actually, company tried to, you know, uh, respond to that that kind of loyalty uh, in in a positive way. I think. At yeah. Least, uh, at least in Japan, there was like a sense of familyness in in the company, and you know, actually, that that is changing in Japan too. Uh, you know, a, a lot slower than other other countries but it's changing uh slowly you know people are not as loyal as they used to be uh you know there are people that are that are quitting after a couple of years after quitting after 10 years 20 years 
but still, I think that sense of loyalty is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, back then, from what I hear, the company used to always have like uh, corporate retreats and they would travel somewhere, everyone together, and they would always hang out uh, with their colleagues. It's like, it's like you enter a company, it's like you're joining a family and you're expected to, you know, live your life uh, centered around that corporate culture. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Like if I really think about how people are like interacting with the job market and staying in their, their industries, if I look at the way our grandparents interacted in the work world, their access to information is incredibly limited. If I think about it, I think mm-hmm. it's access to information was the biggest transformational change to the way we mm-hmm. think about work today. Um, Mm -hmm. and their ability to communicate their thoughts and actions has Mm -hmm. changed that a lot. Um, so if we think about like our grandparents, they had like what the landline telephone, they have to go to a fixed location to be able to make a call. And Mm -hmm. And they, they had TV at home. Our grandparents may not even have had TV. Yeah. They would have radio. Right. And so if they wanted to look for a job, they would have to go to like a newspaper, (laughs) like a physical yeah. piece of paper yeah. to look up or, job. or that guy who, who knows a lot of people right in the town yeah exactly yeah. and so if you really think mm-hmm. about it, it's like um your network like your your personal network that you interact mm-hmm. with people directly is everything to be able to secure the job market and so mm-hmm. once you're able to land a job in something that is that has a lot of power over media to say like hey we're a big company and you know this mm-hmm. is where we are um, you're less likely to leave because you've secured, you know, the bag, right? <laughs> to, to be mm-hmm. right, to, to be like, oh, like I, I was hired at Ford, right? Ford Motors, right? <laughs> if we look at and Ford today, hear, yeah, it's everyone not, knows Ford Motors, yeah. yeah, and and like Ford, maybe back then is like considered a really prestigious company to work for, or mm-hmm. GM, right, or General Motors, mm-hmm. right, uh, mm-hmm. would be a company to be really proud of working for, and then that's a like very blue collar job, right. Yep. which is your nine to five and you're clocking in and out. And I feel with like our parents' age, that slowly shifted out because the the idea of like going to a university um, mm-hmm. and going to like post-secondary education became more available. And so the interactions mm-hmm. and the social dynamics changed drastically. And mm-hmm. you build all of your social interactions now earlier and earlier, not just in high school, but now it's in post-secondary mm-hmm to prepare you mm-hmm. for your careers. Um, mm-hmm. I think with our grandparents, the result is that maybe the turnover of jobs of them changing their careers is like twice or two times at max. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then if we were to look at our parents, that range is maybe three or four times, right? Mm-hmm. Of them changing mm-hmm. their careers because yeah. there's more options. And then the internet it age hits, right? Yeah. And then and all of a sudden... LinkedIn's everywhere. Everything's everywhere, right? We, we know everything. about. We know about a job opportunity uh, on the other side of the world. Our ability basically. to find jobs, yeah. we have a competitive advantage over the, um, the recruiters now and headhunters. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we actually just need to put in what we're interested in in our filters and they'll just roll everything up. And then before yeah. the the recruiters or the headhunters can analyze our behavior patterns and like find out like we're going to leave. We can start 
looking at these other opportunities way ahead of time, ahead of the games, and we can see like where we can continue to enhance and improve our quality of life, right? And mm-hmm. so that's totally mm-hmm. changed the game. I know mm-hmm. for sure in my industry, in tech, people mm-hmm. do not stay in their careers more than one or two years. That's how... how really? Yeah. That's, that's very short. Yeah. It's very short, and, but mm-hmm. people are paid incredibly well um, in the tech industry because everything's designed for efficiency and everything is designed for making things better. Whereas the much larger companies that you work with I would say turnovers maybe around four or five years of them changing their careers, but it's a lot shorter, like you're saying before, compared to like before. And we're also seeing that now in Asia, right? The biggest catalyst I'm seeing in the last two years, right, is COVID, right? And when we look at COVID, everyone is working from home. Can you imagine that? It's like, you don't have to go into the office anymore. I can do all of my work at home how many other companies can I work for that I don't have to go into the office for today? And I can just be wherever I want and I can work. That changes the way you think a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, are, you are supportive. I mean, you like working from home, 100%. I, okay, so there are a few things about working from home that's incredibly challenging. As a business owner, if you are a business owner, working from home, can be incredibly challenging depending on the industry you're in. Like if you're in the restaurant industry. Like like, like allowing people to work from home. Yeah, like allowing people place. to work from home. Yeah. Restaurant industry, that's impossible. You can't do that. You have to you have to replace them with robots or automation or something, right? Like that, it doesn't, like anything that I is mean, like service accounting oriented. work or like some back office work. Yes, you can, you can, yes. you know, have so, to work from home. So right? any like yeah. um, back end work chefs. Yeah. Yeah, or anything that doesn't require you to interact with people as much definitely does not require you to be in office um working from home should definitely exist for that industry um and the reason why i say that is because the more likely you are to work from home the more likely that person that's at home in their region is going to spend money in their city right because if you think about it people that commute will usually commute out of city and go to the main city and all the money yeah, and the like co- their lunch money, their, their dinner sometimes, yeah. Yeah, all the yeah. economic value of like building up great services and products always happens to be in the center city or the main city. But if we really think about it logically, right, and you want people to live across the country and you want to build more of a competitive landscape across your country, it would make more sense to have remote from work because then they can start spending money within their towns and their region to grow that population to grow business there and to just and, like and I guess as as a company or the or the employer you can you know possibly you know reach out to uh, you know different kinds of talents right that are not available in your in your in the in the city you operate in I did mention earlier that a business owner would have that be very challenging to manage but I do want to say that the overhead costs as a business owner where you have to like lease or get a, a an office that's a huge cost you can cut out of your bottom line and so for some companies that's like a huge improvement and a huge like benefit of having everyone remote from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then but then i think for you know you know people like ourselves that that work and live in uh in a developed country may face a uh, risk of offshoring right so you know our jobs could be offshore to um 
to another company and a country, you know, like say say India or somewhere where the where the wage is cheaper. Yeah, definitely. Um, offshoring work is very very common. Like if we were to look at like call centers and like engineers, like software engineers, they're all like located in predominantly India today. Um, that's where I see most of the patterns. Or like if it, it's call centers, also like Philippines or Vietnam and and stuff like that. Um, and not not to say that the, Philipp- the Philippines and Vietnam doesn't have great engineers. I do see a lot of like really great engineers come from Singapore as well. But then Singapore is more of like a really developed uh, city and country. Um, yeah, offshoring is, is a big one. I mean, I, <laughs> if I was talk to to talk about like um, like media and stuff like that, if I was to talk about like the video game industry and the animation industry. I feel that a lot of that work gets offshore to like places like Korea and China. Oh yes, for, for sure, for, for sure. like um, yeah, for like designing characters or like um, to digitally create like um, a video game character or whatnot. I see that happening a lot, getting offshore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But like like the animators' job gets offshore, right? Yeah, a lot of like yeah. the the work that used to be done in that country um, that mm-hmm. or like if we're talking about like disney stuff like i feel like a lot of that animation work is trying to get offshored or digitized um Mm -hmm. so i feel like the more we move to remote work the more things are going to get automated and we're going to have like Mm -hmm. robots and stuff take over our jobs (laughs) Uh, um, but i mean the the upside to that right is it's a lot of the work that we don't want to do if we really think about it right as yeah like uh, I don't think like a lot a, of like processing kind of work there. Right? Yeah, like the really monotonous work of like going through like financial reporting or like coding. Unless unless you like really like to code, <laughs> like if you're in the software engineer that enjoys that work, then then more power to you. Um, but a lot of the back office work that we're doing today is boring. Um, it's super boring, <laughs> and it doesn't help. <laughs> it doesn't really help us um, think about how to continue to elevate like the way we live um and and the things that we that does elevate are the things that we spend a lot of our time through creative thinking right or creative actions mm-hmm. so you're saying that you're saying that the creative thinking creative actions cannot be offshore because I, I feel like they can also be offshore they can be offshore but it's it then becomes more of like cultural right mm-hmm. um so like the things that in the West that we value, that we would value, um, and we would think about creatively would always be very different from the way um, folks in the East would think about things creatively, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like if I was to, to break... Because the yeah. cultural context has to be there, right? Whatever you're providing. Well, yeah. Anytime we do anything yeah. creative, it's always based mm-hmm. off of the things we interact with around us and the things mm-hmm. that we observe broadly. Um, so mm-hmm. if you are in a very like homogeneous society like Japan or Korea, right, um, mm-hmm. or China, like you primarily interact with mostly like <laughs> people of your culture, right? Um, yeah. And so when you think about things creatively, you're going to be thinking about mm-hmm. creative things specifically designed for the folks that you work with all the time or that you interact with yeah. all the time. Yeah. Whereas with the West, there is that s- slight advantage that I personally think exists that um mm. isn't it's more multi multicultural it's more multicultural so you're thinking about mm-hmm. a whole other different set of risks 
and a whole other different mm-hmm. set of benefits that you probably mm-hmm. wouldn't get a chance to think about unless you have mm-hmm. a lot more immigration in your country. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like if we think about like um, height, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like people in, in the East are not as tall, right? Or we were not, no. we haven't, we haven't had enough of uh, the growth in, in like mm-hmm. the things we eat and stuff like that to be a lot yeah. taller. So we don't engage with folks that are like six feet tall, right? And so all the things no. that we build in the in the mm-hmm. in, yeah. in in Asia is a lot smaller and more compact and very difficult. You know, going back to accessibility, right? And I think that's where we're yeah, we're kind you of know, thinking actually, about. yeah, that's that's very true. You know, I get I get pretty frustrated because I'm I'm not tall. I'm pretty like average. I'm I'm like one hundred seventy eight centimeters, and and the kitchen counters and everything in Japan is 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 really really short. Yeah, it's it's so small and yeah. like um yeah, even very small. even the things around um some things uh like your carrying case and stuff like that is designed to be compact, right? <laughs> Everything is very compact here. Yeah. Um I I feel that that's not as much of the case anymore in um Korea or in China. They've kind of mm-hmm. shifted away from that cuz I feel like their population's getting taller and taller over the years. Yeah, I, um, I feel like Korean and the Chinese people are, you know, pretty tall compared to uh, compared to Japanese. And I think a lot of that comes down to like the food that they're mm. eating now. I think like a lot of the Western food moved over yeah. into Korea and China, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think mm-hmm. like it hasn't happened as much in Japan because Japan has the staple Japanese diet, right? Diet, which is and like it's... rice, fish miso soup and maybe something mm-hmm. else uh, like some kind of vegetable mm-hmm. right um mm-hmm. whereas with korea they used to have like panchan right or they would have panchan every day which is like the What's menu. you know when you go to a korean restaurant you get like mm-hmm. rice and then like all these different kinds of vegetables like oh yeah dishes. all these yeah. all these crazy things i never order <laughs> right? it's, it's like it's basically like service right um yeah in japan yeah. all these things like I, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's basically I, I like to a Korean restaurant. Yeah. So for those that are listening in and haven't really uh, been to a Korean restaurant or haven't had the opportunity to go to a wonderful Korean restaurant, it's a great experience. <laughs> um, I love it because I, I get you get this thing called pancha, which is like all these like tiny little dishes um, that have like all these different types of like you know dried foods or like some like uh, pickled dishes Pickle. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel like a king, right? When you see all of those additional dishes. <laughs> Dude, I panicked when I went to a Korean restaurant and, and like they just gave me like a table full of like little plates of things because uh, I was a broke ass student and I'm like, man, I didn't order this stuff. But then my Korean friend told me that it's a, uh, it's a like, complimentary and you can eat as much as you want, man. I, I just down that stuff like crazy. Yeah. It was pretty good. They had the potatoes, they have the kimchi, uh and some dried stuff yeah yeah yeah. and and it's like yeah all of that like that staple food doesn't have the type of like hormones that a lot of western food has right (laughs) that helps with much meat yeah there's not as many well i mean if you go korean barbecue then there's like a ton of meat right but like no but yeah korean barbecue isn't like you don't they didn't eat it every day before Mm -hmm. And then with the whole cultural shift and like becoming more westernized in Korea, all of a sudden they would have like Korean barbecue at the end of the night of working all the time. Similar to the way you have Japanese culture, 
like izakayas, mm-hmm. right? And the izakaya mm-hmm. is like a small bar you can go to, right? Um, and they it's give like, you tapas, like a tapas bar. yeah, a yeah. tapas bar, yeah. um, where you can get little things to eat. Whereas like uh, Korea, they go they go ham, man. They like yeah. <laughs> they have like yeah. full on Korean barbecue and seafood at wow. the end of their night um, to like drink with their colleagues, and that shift in diet has contributed a lot to like their growth and like how tall they're getting. And the same thing applies mm-hmm. to what happens in China, right? Where China wasn't able to really import a ton of food from the West until maybe the last like 20 years. In the last 20 mm-hmm. years, they've been able to have access to Western markets to like get all this <laughs> like Western food, like, like easy access to milk, right? Easy access to things mm-hmm. like cheese, um, just things that are specifically designed for bone density, and then, like, mm-hmm. also for muscle growth, for, like, meats and, like, soybeans and stuff like that. Like, that mm-hmm. has skyrocketed the way that, um, you know, their physique has changed over mm-hmm. the years. And I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'd love to get your thoughts on that, is that Japan mm-hmm. is still sticking to maybe some of that. Although, if you do eat something else I, outside I think, of that. I think there has been changes, you know, to the Japanese diet. And we have gotten bigger. We are getting bigger and bigger each year. But I think it hasn't happened at the same rate as it did for, you know, the Chinese and Koreans, I think. So, you know, Japan is still uh, smaller than the Chinese uh, and Koreans. I haven't looked into the statistics, but just from my personal experience, I feel like the Chinese and Koreans are bigger than Japanese. You know, when I'm just walking down the street in in Seoul, yeah, they're, they're bigger than Japanese. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's happening in Japan, but not as much because I think Japanese people love their Japanese food and there's already something for every occasion that is Japanese, which is, you know, uh, more low calories, uh, you know, less protein, more more vegetables, etc. So, yeah. So if you want to feel like a giant, uh, you should come to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> because i do feel like a giant here man but i'm not really that big either so and you know it was it was like the funnest funniest thing when my when my friend who is who is uh who is two meters tall i came to japan uh (laughs) yeah he was he was basically like it was like a freak show everywhere for the japanese people everyone like walking on the street would would turn around and be like deka means big you know just like speak it out loud because he, he doesn't look Japanese and yeah it was, it was really a funny experience yeah because <laughs> I, I really feel like that that discussion around like people leaving the company early um yeah is that I I think that's gonna change yeah even in Japan yeah and you know what's what's what what's I think uh what's what's good that's going to come out of it uh in Japan at least with the increased uh turnover is people are going to have more bargaining power, you know, over their salaries, uh, you know, their overall package that's given to them, uh, you know, for, in return to their 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 work, because uh, I think I think the Japanese society as a whole is uh, like the corporate society as a whole is uh, pretty underpaid compared to other 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 you know nations with a similar GDP size. I think that's a very common thing in Asia where it's like the salary is very low five or 10 years ago in other Asian countries, not maybe specifically Japan. There has been salary increases, but also their quality of life 
has jumped so far ahead that their salary increases can't keep up. Yeah. Um, because now it's like, oh, you have a car, right? Um, and you know, you you know, you can't really buy a house these days in Asia. You have to buy a condo or an apartment. Or if you're even lucky, you'd have to be able to like rent it. It's based effectively the same problem every other country is having today. Yeah, in, in in like big cities, yeah. Yeah, in big cities. But if you go outside rurally, everything is like incredibly reasonable. <laughs> like <laughs> everything is incredibly reasonable with but no jobs, right? So I, you know, going back to like going way back to like the remote working discussion, I think it it makes sense to uh, promote remote working to you know kind of equalize the quality of quality of life because you when you're in the city you get paid but you can't afford to live there and when you're in the countryside it's uh it's it's just no job, there's nothing right? to you do can't, you can't get paid yeah there's nothing to do mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah, there's not as many opportunities when you're in the countryside, um, for sure. And mm. and I think I guess again, it's like I if if there's anything I would probably say about like turnover and remote work, the mental anguish, and mm. your like if you don't believe in what you're doing at the company, that doesn't help you or the company. In either sense. And it doesn't really matter whether it's like, oh, you have to have strong loyalty. And I really do understand like loyalty is like super important. But if that employee or as an employee, if the employer and the employee aren't seeing eye to eye on like what needs to be done, that's mm-hmm. that's just a big waste of time <laughs> for for both parties, right? Um, of yeah. course, I'm, I'm not saying for the viewer, like listeners here, like just get up and leave your job if you hate it right now obviously look Mm -hmm. for keep your job you still need to live (laughs) right Uh, but but like definitely start looking at other options right like it at the end of the day it's like you want to be a good i think with how much like different companies i've worked with over the years Mm -hmm. most of you've you've worked at quite a few companies yeah yeah a lot of different tech companies Mm -hmm. and Mm-hmm. None of the, at least in the tech industry, I feel like most tech companies are incredibly reasonable. Like they actually very much understand the position because mm-hmm. everyone in the tech industry is building stuff to replace their jobs, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're engineering for tools that will eventually make someone else's job go away or mm-hmm. you are engineering tools or, or uh, functions that will open up new markets, right? That people aren't thinking mm-hmm. about. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's not strange that the fact that people that are working in this industry know new markets are opening up or they know like some markets are going to be disappearing, move because they need to get ahead, right? To make sure they don't get mm-hmm. caught. Because tech is like life or death. Yeah, because tech is always uh, like, is like always like either eating itself or it's mm-hmm. trying to break away from the from the circle of life and death to open up a whole new <laughs> whole new level of opportunity, yeah. right? Um, mm. And so, like that, it's not strange to see that, and everyone there inherently understands that's exactly what's happening. And so, I don't feel as much like pressure from management to, to say mm-hmm. the least, or people in management to say, "Oh, you have to stay." But they will always ask, like, "Why? Like, is it because of?" They'll usually, it's not usually because of the industry, but they'll usually ask if mm-hmm. 
someone's paying you more is usually the question <laughs> or they, they, if you, they want to understand right? yeah they want to understand yeah. is it the culture or something wrong with the company it's usually the first one they'll ask i think in tech companies mm. because the culture mm. is probably the the biggest reason why you would ever stay at a company at least in western tech yeah. industries it's like yeah are we treating you properly are the things that we're doing in line with the things that you believe in right yeah. And if they weren't, why are you leaving? And then they'll ask for the other ones, which is, are you getting a new opportunity with a new position? It's mm. just you want more mm. more opportunities to do other things or um, are you getting paid more, right? Usually those are the two. And then usually mm-hmm. a third or fourth one usually has something to do with maybe family-related issues or you're relocating somewhere, right? Those are usually the really yeah. common ones you run into. It's, it's, it's a whole different situation. Uh, you know, I, I had a pretty interesting experience when I left my first job working for a Japanese company. So it's it's a lot, you know, your experience uh, quitting a tech job sounds way, way nicer compared to what I experienced. Uh, so when I announced my resignation to my boss, my boss's boss uh, asked me to go for a drink a couple of days later. So my, my resignation request was not uh, approved by the company at that, at that point. And he, would, he, he took me out for drinks and he would threaten me. Uh, you know, he would ask me, why are you quitting? Why are you quitting? I will not let you quit. Uh, if you go to a competitor, I will make sure that your career will not go nowhere. That's, that's illegal. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's straight up that's illegal. illegal. That's straight up illegal. That, he was threatening me. And I was, I was scared as hell because he was a senior management in the company and, you know, actually held a, a quite a bit of power in the industry in Tokyo. So that's what happened. And, you know, I wasn't doing anything wrong, right? I was, I was just trying to find, find out what's, what's best for myself and, you know, going for the right opportunity and what I thought was the right opportunity. So yeah, that's, that's what happened. I think it's just that, that the Japanese society is not exactly i mean my my example is very extreme it happened four years ago my example is very extreme but uh overall japanese society is not as as prepared as say like you know the tech industry or 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 the or the western culture when it comes to you know seeing people leave the company yeah i mean i wouldn't be surprised if some of that behavior still exists in western culture but maybe a little higher up so maybe between directors Mm. and CEOs or like yeah. between like certain like government bodies where they would you know enforce their will on you with using their position yeah. to try to change mm-hmm. the outcome um, yeah. I definitely think that maybe some of that still exists um, mm. in some areas but I would probably say that if you did try to do that in in, in mm-hmm. the west you would probably get called out for it pretty quickly you'd probably get like taken to court <laughs> for doing stuff like that yeah um yeah i bet i bet because but i was naive i was young i was still in my 20s so got it so did that change your did that change your decision to leave like did that delay your decision or did that do anything or did that make you even more pissed off (laughs) yeah i wanted to get out as soon as possible i i found the culture very toxic and and the fact that he was you know getting away uh you know threatening uh, a person with 20 years less experience uh that way it's uh it's very scary yeah no for sure and i'm, I'm glad mm-hmm. you you escaped that because that sounds like a time bomb yeah 
and you know it shows the way it shows the way employers look at the employees right it's not equal so that the power is in the hands of the employers yeah yeah well i mean if it was the business owner i can i can feel what i can see why they feel that way but if they're just like mm-hmm. senior management <laughs> and that guy's like yeah exactly that, he, that person was a senior manager or something right he was he was like yeah he was like the one of the senior executives or something yeah yeah so like because I'm, I'm now very i'm now kind of bought into the story here that, that mm-hmm. you have but like is he a like a, a shareholder of the no of the yeah no, so yes he has he, yeah he has no shares he's he's also uh an employee yeah so he's company. just power tripping he's just like He's just an egomaniac <laughs> that's like tripping yeah. on his power and like yeah no yeah. he was a bit of an egomaniac yes yeah yes. that's yeah that that kind of behavior is like incredibly unacceptable now um mm-hmm. especially in the West and I think social media played a big hand if we're we're think <laughs> like they played played a really big hand in like calling people out um and like trying to oh, yeah, really look at sure. at stuff um. It it seems to be happening a lot more of this like toxic work culture seems mm-hmm. to be getting a lot better in the West and in the East a lot now mm-hmm. I'm seeing because yeah. people have an outlet and they can rally together against these like really mm-hmm. unfair and I would say even like very oppressive specific mm-hmm. individuals that take these types of like actions that are not productive. I agree. Uh, you know, what, what used to just stay in the company, stay in that room between two people or, you know, between so many people of the same minded. Instead of that happening, I think, you know, we have an outlet to share with the world and get really, you know, uh, a third or, you know, how many of our eyes perspective on, uh, on, the, on the same situation and actually call, call out, uh, you know, if, if, if we encounter something, uh, something, you know, immoral. Yeah, something that is not right. Yeah, I mean, we like at the end of the day, like, don't get me wrong. These these types of situations also still exist in the West. I can already point out two examples, right? WeWork okay. and Theranos. Those two companies have incre- had, because well, I mean, WeWork is still around, but Theranos is, is gone. But those mm-hmm. two companies in particular, and for those of you that are listening and you can look it up on Google, like these, these are fairly large companies that people know about. Um, and they're really <laughs> like, if you don't know about them, then you're either sitting, living under a rock or <laughs> like, you're not, <laughs> or, or it's, it's just not something of interest to you, but they have incredibly toxic managers and their work culture was incredibly toxic or like mm-hmm. just unchained. Um, and so a lot of things that they were doing was really, like not acceptable um, in a work environment that you would have traditionally today. Um, like I think in Theranos' example, because their product wasn't legit, uh, <laughs> they got their mm. managers to lie that their product was working. Um, mm. And that was forced upon, you know, some of the folks, like as, it's like, a, it's an ongoing like legal dispute that they're having right now, but now I'm following it fairly closely because it's incredibly interesting um listening to like what's happening there um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's like there are situations where higher management would force other folks that were working on the product to lie and not talk about it because they would ruin their careers like that's like the testimonials Mm. um that we're hearing from their case and then with WeWork, it's uh more of the uh social manipulation that was going on like there was like tons of parties and people getting drunk and 
yeah. the the CEO at the time was like 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 scamming effectively investors like um you know mm. if even if we were to think about one of the biggest investors in Japan from um Softbank Softbank yeah Masayoshi yeah. right Masayoshi mm-hmm. son right like he yep. is like he got straight up like <laughs> he got yeah, scammed he got yeah that that was a big big risk for for Softbank at the time yeah yeah and so it just goes to show like even like the even the best of us when we look at mm. the companies you want to work for i think the brand name is not important i really feel that if you're aiming to work at a really big company that's great but i think as your starting career when you want to get things like if you want to gain a lot of knowledge and you really want mm. to understand what's going on work at a small company mm. first because you learn a lot more a lot faster um, and I know that's not like something that Asian culture likes. They want you to work at, especially in Korea, they want you to work at the Samsungs or the Hyundais mm-hmm. or the LGs of the mm-hmm. world, right? And I guess in mm-hmm. Japan, they want you to work for the Sonys, the Mitsubishis, yeah, Sonys, right? Toyota, the Toyota. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, th- those company structures don't encourage growth. Like you're mm-hmm. stuck. Yeah. You're stuck in those well, areas. Because, for because a long the work time. is fragmented and. You know, there's a lot of silos that that exist uh, that prevents you from you know having a, having a comprehensive view of the business. And and third of all, you know, uh, there's a lot of politics that you know prohibit uh, quick decision making. So you're you know you're you're just less exposed to many business cases mm-hmm. on day to day. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> not about the yeah. It's not about the number of years you spend. It's about the you know the thickness or the density of the time you get to spend right yeah exactly it's it's not like before i was like i spent you know five to ten years at this job therefore respect me and listen to everything i say like that that doesn't apply anymore because it's so easy to get knowledge about certain things it's just practice that um you know that you need to get that advantage on to be able to work on things hands-on right away um Mm -hmm. And so if you work at a big company, they're going to be spending most of your time in theory and most of the time a mm-hmm. meaningless or me- menial job, not yeah. meaningless, but more like menial jobs, like smaller tasks, yeah. like getting, yeah, like, like bullshit jobs. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, like yeah. new employee, get me a cup of coffee. Like that shit still exists in Asia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, Hey, you intern, know what I was doing when I started coffee. out working? Uh, I, I had to like go into the office and like clean up the, the, like the shredder, like the shredding trash, yeah. like paper shredder trash. Yeah, yeah, like I've heard those stories. <laughs> like, because like, I've never experienced that in the West, right? Because all the mm. companies I've worked for have been small. Um, and that, that was with intention on my end, because I knew mm. that exists in bigger companies. Um, but the friends that I talk to, they they get that same problem, which is, hey, take out the trash, right? Yeah. Clean up everyone's desk. Go do a coffee run for everyone. Right, yeah, it's like, bitch, those. get your own yeah. copy. You've got two hands. Of <laughs> like, <laughs> give me something that's actually contributing to the job I pl- applied for. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. And for so that feels like really, really different. But I, I do encourage um, folks that are getting into the job market or thinking they're in like post secondary and they're starting to think about their career path. Either mm-hmm. try to start your own business. Um, that's the highest risk, high reward. I would say. Um, that'll probably give you like the most happy outcome you have. If not, you'll get the most amount of learning of anything. Yeah. Yeah. If you try to start your own business. Second is 
try to find a smaller company that has a lot of room to grow and a lot of opportunities. Um, and those instead, if you don't, if you're, you don't have the opportunity to pursue your own business or you don't have a good idea yet and you just need to learn and you want to put things into practice, work for a smaller company. There's no shame in doing that. In fact, um, I would probably say that most people that are hiring want you to have work experience and you're more likely to have work experience and an opportunity to get hired at smaller companies than you would bigger, bigger companies. So I think if you're looking for a, you know, if you're looking to work in Japan, let's say you're, you're finished off your you know, university, uh, you know, undergrad and try to find a job in Japan, you know, first you gotta, you gotta, you gotta speak the language. You gotta be able to speak Japanese, but you know, let's say you speak perfectly good Japanese. I think in Japan though, it's still predominantly working for a large corporation that attracts, uh, you know, people that, that graduate uh, out of universities, but I think increasing number of students try, you know, try to work for a startup uh, on on an internship basis, and sometimes do even choose to work for a startup or smaller companies uh, as they as they finish school. And you know what I see happening in in Japan, which is I think extremely good, is a lot of you know students start start up their own companies uh, when they're still in school. It's starting to happen. I think. Japanese students are becoming more entrepreneurial. They are, you know, looking more at the startup world and society and start, startup is becoming increasingly, you know, more common in Japan. So, you know, there, there, are not, there have not been so many, you know, unicorns that came out of Japan. There are some, but not that many. But I think Japanese people are, you know, their views have shifted and they, you know, at least at the student level, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's changing slowly to the, to that direction. Hmm. But, you know, l- large corporations are still very, very popular amongst uh, new grads because, because it gives them comfort. Uh, it gives them the right brand name and make their parents happy. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. I think that's yeah. one of the, the, the biggest um, drivers for people to pursue larger companies it's the parents mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll usually especially in asian culture the the parents will typically want you to succeed and they want you to take the path of best security right like what is yeah, the most secure of option, the best right yeah lawyer doctor whatever or work at a big company lawyer doctor government worker uh, working for so so you know my one of my colleagues that work for uh, my company which is uh, not a Japanese it's a Western company uh, their their parents uh, you know her parents actually discouraged her from joining the company as a new grad because it's not a Japanese company and they consider working for a Western company as uh, you know kind of like an inferior choice over working for a Japanese company purely from you know. I think stability uh, perspective. Really, that's really yeah. interesting. Even mm-hmm. even if it's like a really big Western company, it's it's yeah. Even if it's like a really big multinational Western company with a big office in Japan, they would still, you know, instead of working for let's say you know Ford Motors, uh, Tokyo office, uh, they would still prefer you to work for Toyota. I mean, I mean that's that's not a good good comparison, but uh, you know. Yeah, it's uh, 
you know, BMW Tokyo versus Toyota, you know, they would still want you to work for Toyota because, you know, I think, I think it, they, they see it as a more stable and more comfortable option from what they are used to and what they're familiar with. So it's really funny that you're bringing that up, but um, mm-hmm. in China and Korea, at least, there's a terminology, mm-hmm. if I directly translate it from the language, it's called iron rice bowl. Iron rice bowl, okay. Do you have, like, and so the, the terminology of an iron rice bowl is like someone that was able to secure a very stable job. That's what it means. Does that, so does, a, does, yeah, does that exist in Japan? Like, is there a terminology for that? Like the iron rice bowl? No, we don't have the iron rice bowl uh, okay. terminology. Because Korea and, Jap- yeah. and China share that idiom. Like they sh- they share yeah. that statement, which yeah. I found sometimes, really interesting. Yeah, many times. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's like something so, so that's your, used. Your, your rice bowl is so solid that it's iron rice. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what- <laughs> like, like you're very unlikely to like lose your rice. Yeah. And you're, yeah. Like, you will have rice forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a really funny term, but it's like, it makes sense, right? If, if you're like starving, yeah. right? And you have like a solid thing. But I'm, I'm wondering like if Japan had maybe brought over some of that like that concept or, or like there are some really interesting like idioms that i find or sayings or phrases that i find that cross over to different countries that have the same meanings and like that's one of them that's one that i hear a lot about because job market is such a big topic in asia um because it's like that the biggest growing topic because they're the the middle in middle class has grown substantially in China, especially and in Korea. The middle class is contracting like what's happening in the West. And then Japan, it's like middle class is like almost non-existent now <laughs> today. Uh, so that we had a huge middle class, but, 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 you know, like the, like the average spending power of the middle class is slowly declining because Japan is not uh, growing as fast as the rest of the, you know, because of declining growth. And I think that that kind of, uh, and also the the wealthy upper class is uh, it's it's growing, so that that kind of disparity is becoming more apparent in Japan. Yeah. But do you have like a similar saying in Japan, like like an iron rice bowl? <laughs> I <laughs> you really like that. I I like it too. No, maybe. No, we just say stable, stable. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's that's like a fine way of saying that as well. I was I was just wondering if there's like a historical word that they might there might be, in that. There there might be something you know, back then. But you know, I think in Japan at at one point, uh, every job was an iron rice bowl. Yeah. So you know, a few decades ago, uh, every job was basically iron rice bowl, because even even if you work for like a small company, you would not get fired. They will try to, you know, keep the employees as much as possible. And, you know, talking about like being able to create a job or like being an entrepreneur or finding jobs. Um, you'd mentioned a lot earlier to me that you really have like a love affair with tacos. <laughs> so, so, okay. You know, um, not just tacos, but, you know, Japan you know, it's known to have good restaurants, right? I think we touched on this before, but Tokyo has the highest number of Michelin stars out of all cities in the world. So you can find great food in Tokyo, for sure. You can find great French, Italian, Japanese, you know, all kinds of food uh, from all over the world. But 
I, I think uh, Japanese people are good at making their own version of certain cuisine and maybe sophisticate it a little bit more. But there are certain foods that you can never find in Tokyo or, or, or else you can't find good ones in Tokyo. And one of which is tacos. And, you know, that, that's, that's, that's why I almost opened up a taco shop uh, once. And, you know, it's still uh, taking a big, big portion of uh, my mind, actually. I, I, think, I, I still think about the taco shop to this day because it's hard to find certain cuisine in Japan. Like, and those are the kind of food I, I crave pretty badly. So they have taco shops, but it's just not as good. Uh, they, I've never seen Philly cheesesteak. In, in Japan, and it's very hard to find uh, dim sum, like good dim sum, in uh, in Tokyo. Really? But Japanese people love Chinese food, though. Japanese people love, but a lot of the Chinese food we you find here is like Japanese Chinese food. Yeah, it's it's uh, so you, it's it's hard to find like good authentic Chinese food in Tokyo. It's hard to find many kinds of food here in Tokyo, although the food here is amazing. So, you know, I, I just found it, I just, you know, always think about it and it's, it's pretty interesting because it's a, it's a city and, and a country filled with people that love eating good food and, and good food. Uh, but you just can't find certain kinds of food that you look for. Yeah, like, like yeah, tacos is one, one thing for the cheesesteak. Good dim sum. They actually do you know Tim Ho Wan? It's a uh, Tim Hortons. A, no, they, oh, they don't have Tim Hortons either. <laughs> but we have a donut shop. That's a Canadian yeah, cuisine yeah, right no. there. That's, that's the best. <laughs> no, we have Mister Donuts. Oh, okay. We have Mister Donuts, yeah. and uh, yeah, something similar to Tim Bits too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But we don't have the ice cap. Yeah, but you have like, you have like iced coffee though. In, in yeah, we have iced coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, so I guess it's it's a it's a it's a complimentary. You have frappuccino, right? Which is effectively very similar to an ice cap. It's just like four mm-hmm. times more expensive. Um, yeah, but ice cap. It's like it's like what a dollar. Uh, like it's the smallest one. It's actually gone like up. It's gone up in price, honestly. Um, see, so like a like a medium. <laughs> we're talking about Tim Hortons, <laughs> <laughs> but but like a medium ice cap is like I think yeah. two fifty or something now. It doubled. Okay, okay. So, but, but the medium is is not that small, right? Yeah, it's like right. it's okay, but like you, what you really want to get is a large, right? Because the medium yeah. isn't enough. You want you want the larger. Yeah. Yeah. ice cap because i remember like i used to get a medium for like a dollar or something yeah yeah that was the good old days until inflation um <laughs> uh inflation's a real thing man it's like it's not funny like how how much more expensive things has gotten um over mm-hmm. the years uh but but yeah tim tim hortons we, I, we used to go yeah. there all the time mm-hmm. yeah yeah no they have good donuts and coffee and you know it's 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 like a nice caffeine out uh, you know outlet if you're a student, and you know actually like the price of price of like even Tim Tim Hortons right price of Tim Bits, Tim Bits is like a it's like a bunch of small donuts that you can eat. Uh, I mean they sell at Tim Hortons with different flavors. Anyway, even like the price of Tim Bits and the ice cap. You know they have gone up, right significantly over the past what decade or so. Yeah. But you know. 
if you have a look at what like the price of things in Tokyo or in Japan overall, it hasn't gone up by that much. And you know that's 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 the you know that's that's why uh I guess the wages aren't going up and you know that's you know it's it's like a negative spiral like interlinked uh causes of uh causes and effects of things like the wages aren't going up so people aren't spending as much so they can't raise the price etc etc so you know you go to Japan and you are I'm going to talk about something sad about you know eating out in Japan uh after speaking of how great the restaurants are here um so if you go to a restaurant, you are probably going to be shocked by how cheap they are for a country that is so developed. Like you can find, a, you know, a beef bowl, like a gyudon for, for uh, like 300, like three, four dollars per bowl. And that's a meal for you. Okay, that's really cheap. And you have that kind of very cheap options to eat out everywhere in Japan. And, and many restaurants offer lunches that 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 taste really good in the center center of tokyo for you know 1000 yen which is ten dollars so you know you start to wonder how are they even keeping keeping profit you know if if you're charging customers like that and and the answer is that i think a lot of the restaurant workers are underpaid in japan and it's sad uh and you know they they work so hard they're so efficient but i think you know in in the japanese society restaurant is a very very tough business and maybe because japanese people are sucker for food that you know (laughs) the restaurant workers get manipulated because they just enjoy working in a restaurant so much even though they're getting not getting so getting paid all that much but uh, I, I've worked at a restaurant in Canada when I was a student. And I was also, I've also worked at a restaurant in, in Tokyo uh, when I was a student, uh, just like a part-time. And, and the wage, wage difference is, uh, is quite significant. You know, when you, when you make it per hour, because I was getting paid minimum wage in Canada, but then I was getting tips because I was a server. Whereas I'm working a server job in Tokyo, I'm just getting my base. And I think I was getting paid like 50% more when I was working in Canada compared to when I was working in Tokyo. And working in Tokyo, I was doing night shifts. You know, I was working at all night izakaya. So I would work from like 11 to 5, 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. And that's that's really tough work, but I was not getting paid that much. So, you know, so I think something has to be done there to to increase the wages of the restaurant workers yeah definitely um definitely like minimum wage (laughs) should be Mm. should go up um Mm. especially with you know at least in line with the rate of inflation i think that's reasonable um for like just for cost of living um yeah yeah like because i've worked in the restaurant industry as well right um Mm -hmm. i haven't worked in asia in the restaurant industry because I'm too scared to because it sounds like way too much work, and I don't think I'd be able to handle no, it's, it. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like the closest thing to slavery you can yeah. get but, in Japan because it's long hours and it's mm-hmm. tough, and you get paid nothing. Yeah, and and I never worked yeah. in uh, as a server in a restaurant, but I've worked mm. in food prep and dishwashing. I see, which are like two of the hardest <laughs> yeah. manual jobs yeah. in like in the restaurant industry. Um, yeah, and then 
but then we would also get tips as well. Uh, and I remember mm-hmm. like the tips being fairly large and incredibly helpful, um, especially for the yeah. things I wanted no, to buy. Yeah, you live for the tips, right? Yeah, you exactly. You want for the tips. But yeah. there's one thing that like I kind of have to say about tips, which is I actually do very much think that anyone that works in the re- in the restaurant industry should get paid a livable wage, right? But livable mm-hmm. wage is like very difficult to understand because of it's all tied towards the economics of the way the the country operates, right? Yeah. And in the West, I actually feel that in the East, they should have tipping. And in the West, they shouldn't have tipping. <laughs> <laughs> and it might sound super controversial, but it's just mm. the mm. quality of service, right? Yeah. That you get in the East is way better than the quality of service you get in the West, unless you really pony up for it or you really go to like a really great restaurant known for its service. But predominantly, my experience... You mean, like the, you mean like the minimum threshold, you know, minimum line, you know, the the bare minimum you get is much higher in the East, yeah. Yeah, in, in the East, right? But yeah. but what I'm saying is that tipping is usually like frowned upon, right, in, in some mm-hmm. Eastern... They don't take your money, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, it, in Japan. Well, in Japan, yeah. And then in, yeah. in some... Some Korean restaurants, they don't take tip, but some do. It's like kind of this weird thing that's going on there. And then um, mm-hmm. in China, I think they're starting to take tips. Um, okay. But I know in Europe, a lot of European countries don't take tips, right? Or they build mm-hmm. the tip into your bill. Like it's 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 inside yeah. your bill. It's and like a service charge. Yeah. And yeah. then same thing with like Australia, right? Which is like mm-hmm. they have that kind of same idea where like taxes and that kind of stuff is built in to their um, – mm-hmm into their billing but in the west it's like a free-for-all there so it's like the range of service that you get can be great or it can be shit poor and no matter what level of service you get there is that like built-in like like everyone feels like oh i gave you shit service but you should give me a tip anyways. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like if they gave you actual dog shit service, um, they would look at you and if you didn't tip them, they would like go off on you. Like they would get angry at you. But it's like, yeah, your service is garbage. You can't expect me to tip you if if your your service was terrible. Like since when was it okay? Mandatory. Mandatory, yeah. right? For yeah, to request for tips, right? to request for tips so blatantly like that, when mm. like it's either they don't realize that they're doing a terrible job, or they're just mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like like the reality around them isn't like they're not thinking in. in no, like, I I think it's also the way they are compensated too, right? So I think that there's a, there's a bit of a flaw in the design because they can't earn a livable wage without earning the tips. So their life depends on the tips. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. why I'm going back to like I think everyone should get paid a livable wage if you're working in the service mm-hmm. industry. I do think tipping in some situations. I personally am not a fan of tipping, but just build the tip into the bill, right? Yeah, just build it in there, um, so I don't have to mm-hmm. think about it and I don't have to like do the social gymnastics with <laughs> with this person. <laughs> to yeah, like... and you know, I, I think there is like a, yeah, that's a, that's a nice way to put it, like social gymnastics because, you know, working as a server, 
I really like every time I I see a customer, I think, is he uh is he does he look well off, or he or she the customer look well off? Is is are they gonna order a lot of food because a lot of food means you know. Uh, it's ten percent of whatever they ten percent, fifteen, twenty percent of whatever they order is gonna be my tip, right? So, and then I, you know, try to bump that fifteen percent to twenty percent somehow. And it is always going to be, you know, if he or she looks cheap, and I'm doing it uh twenty times a day, fifty times a day to a complete stranger mostly that I have never met, and that's like a lot of, a lot of, you know, hassle that I, I go through and as a customer you could get discriminated you know you could be a millionaire wearing you know ripped jeans and a, and a worn out t-shirt and you're willing to tip 20-30% if the service is good but because you don't look you know you don't look the way uh, you could you could just be receiving shit service yeah and yeah. and I think like yeah just just pay your, your employees well um, mm-hmm. and like if you you know, if you're really thinking about, you know, the restaurant industry being a great place to offer good service and good food, don't let your employees like think about that stuff, right? You're tying their incentives yeah. Yeah. to the way they might potentially give you more money. Whereas yeah. if you make your the money consistent and a really great place to work at, then mm-hmm. you treat you give everyone the same level of service. Or, it's a hospitality yeah right? hospitality like the yeah. same level of service um mm-hmm. but i don't know i don't think that'll fly very well in in the west because everyone's very like um oh we should be able to do whatever we want because of you know um the freedoms that are are, are given to them and mm-hmm. you know what maybe sometimes there is that they should have that option it's like hey i want to pay a little more i think that's mm-hmm. great that's fine yeah yeah, but it shouldn't be the norm. But it, it should not be the norm. It shouldn't be the more norm. Maybe something should be built in so they don't have to mm-hmm. think about it and then worry about having to pay their next paycheck or mm-hmm. their next utility bill. Thanks for listening to the KKOGI podcast. You can find more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Keep up to date by following us on Twitter and Instagram at KKOGI Podcast. If you would like to support the program, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash KKOGI.